What what decisions would we make? And I don't mean I've got nothing to lose. I'm going to go to Vegas and put it all in black. That's not what I mean. I mean, what morals, what decisions would you make, would I make if we had nothing to lose? Hello and welcome to the Restoring Manhood podcast, where we are engaging men in the conversation about what it means to be a man in today's society. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. We love new listeners. If you've listened all along as we have been putting these out, thank you very much for your support. If you are enjoying the podcast or you like what you hear today, we would request or ask that you would share the link or share the podcast with a friend and give us high marks on whatever app you're using to listen to the podcast so that we can push this up and get this message out. I think in that that in today's society, this message about what it means to be a man is becoming more and more and more important because manhood is becoming um, less and less popular and more and more under direct attack. In today's podcast, I want to chat about something that's been really um, heavy on my heart over the last, I'd say, month or so. And it's the idea of having something to lose. What do we have to lose? What do I have to lose? What do you have to lose? And that question is kind of the, it's the construct by which I'd like to have a conversation that should, that hopefully can lead us as men to a point where we realize what we must do next. So I'm going to start with this question and I'll, I'll ask it of, of all of you and you guys can kind of process through the, the answer to this question on your own as you're listening. And I'll process through a little bit of my own answers in my own life. So the question I want to ask is, what do you have to lose today? What do you have to lose? And my answers can be wide. A lot of things, a lot of, a lot of stuff, a lot of security, a lot of whatever. I mean, I, I've, I've worked in my industry at this point for close to 15 years. I'm about 25 some odd years into paying into social security. So, I mean, I've got some, some future plans, some retirement kind of stuff that I could lose that thing those kind of things. If let's say I was to lose my job and not be able to get another one to transfer that, or I've got a income, I have a job, I have a job to lose. I have um, the ability to sustain and put food on the table for my family. I have that to lose. Um, I have some cool stuff. I like neat things. I have, you know, I've got some stuff that I enjoy to do and I've got, I love mountain bikes. I love motorcycles and, you know, like, like fast cars and and stuff like that. So I, I have some things to lose. More important than that, I have a beautiful little family. I have a little daughter who's five, and it's my job as a dad to protect her. And so co- components of the other pieces, the retirement, the security, the home that we live in, those are provided, I try to provide for my little daughter so she has a place to be. For my wife, for my beautiful wife, I have I have so much to lose from her. I want to protect her. I'm, I'm, I am a man who I believe it is. we are called to protect, provide for, and support and serve our wives. I don't want to lose my wife. I don't want to lose my little girl. I don't want to lose the security and the foundation that I'm building on the life that we have. I have a lot to lose when I look at it like a man, like a human man that has grown up in the United States of America and been told that these are things that I should hold on to. Here's the problem. 
I'm not just a man. I am a Christian man. And there's another story about what we have to lose as Christian men. There's a lot of instruction about how we should live this life on earth and how we should view the things that we should ha- that we have to lose. So I want to tell a few stories. The first story is out of the Bible, and it's the story that most of you have probably heard, um, and many of you might know really, really well. It's in the book of Daniel, and it starts in chapter 6, and it's about halfway through. The story is Daniel in the lion's den. And um, if you're like me, you probably heard this a hundred times starting back when you were a little kid and you got to, you know, hear the story being told on um, or while having flannel stuck on a wall on a flannel graph. And you got to see Daniel in the lion's den and the tigers and how God shut the tiger's malice. Now, this is specifically what I want to talk about in that story today. So the story goes that that Daniel went up to his, his room and he prayed every day. He prayed to his God. He knew that God was, in fact, the authority and the creator of the world. He had talked to God several times, interpreted dreams. He had watched his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, go into a flaming furnace and live because angels had saved them, and they walked out of this flaming thousand-degree furnace alive. So Daniel acutely knew the power of God. Now, the he was very high up in the... Um, in the power structure at the, with the king that he was in because he had served this king and he had um, interpreted from dream, dreams. And so he was, the, the king respected Daniel a lot, loved Daniel. And so it placed him very high up um, in how much he respected him. Well, there were some other guys that didn't necessarily approve of this or like this. And so they tricked the king into setting up a law that said um, the only thing or person that anybody in the kingdom could worship would be the king himself. And if you worship anything else, then you will be put to death. Knowing that Daniel prays to his God every day at, you know, the same time at, at his window, visible to the world to see, and kneels down and would pray to his God. And everybody could see because, he, you know, out of his window, he's visible, I guess. So they put this law in place. The king didn't know this, and he didn't know that he was being set up to kill Daniel. The law goes into place. Daniel finds out about it. He changed nothing about his behavior. He knew exactly what the, what the consequences was, but he knew that God was his God. And so he went back, right back the next day, goes to the place that he prays. He goes and he sits there. I don't know if he, you know, and he prays to God and he worships God, the creator of the universe in plain sight. And these other guys see him and they, you know, of course, run to get him and he gets arrested and they tell the king, Daniel's been praying to other gods and not you. King realizes what happened, but he realized that he had put this law in place and even he couldn't turn back the, turn back the law at this point. So Daniel gets thrown in a lion's den to be eaten by hungry lions. And um, as the story goes, as many of you know, the lions do not eat Daniel. In fact, they keep their mouth shut and Daniel stays the night with the lions. The king has a restless night. He doesn't sleep that night. Um, doesn't, you know, decide, doesn't eat, doesn't have any of his entertainment come. He's distraught because it's Daniel that he really loves and he respected was going to be eaten by these lions. There's no way he's going to live. The king goes the next day to the lion den, calls down to the lion den. Daniel, are you alive? Daniel walks out. He's fine. God protected him. Daniel lived in a manner by which would lead me to conclude that he valued 
none of his worldly things or his status or his power above the morality that he lived his life by. None of his stuff. He was more powerful than any of us. Me, you, none of his stuff, none of his power was worth being afraid of losing over bending his morals. In fact, he just continued. He would not bend his morals. He knew that God was real. He knew that he used to worship God. So he did. And what ended up happening is that God did, a, God did in fact close the lion's mouths. There was a miracle that happened. Turns out that the king threw all the other guys that tricked him into that same lion's dead, then including their families, which is kind of crazy. And the lions ate them for dinner. So the lions ended up eating Daniel's enemies, not Daniel. And all he did was continue down the road that he was going, continue down the path that he was going before he was threatened with loss. There was a path that he knew was moral. There was, you know, he did not have any obstructions in the, in the, in the, in the, in line with that path. So he was going down this path. Then there was an obstruction put in that path and his morals did not waver. He walked straight into the lion's den knowing that he could lose everything, including his life. So that's story number one. The second thing I want to talk about is, is also from the Bible. It's the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you've ever read the book of Ecclesiastes, it's kind of known as, you know, it's, it's, you laugh about Ecclesiastes sometimes because it's written by Solomon, who was known as the wisest king ever. He prayed for wisdom. God made him the wisest king in history. He was wealthy beyond belief. He was, I mean, he was one of the greatest of the greats. Had all the gold and the money and the power. He had everything he wanted. And it basically opens up this book of Ecclesiastes by saying, everything is meaningless. Nothing, none of it matters at all. It's meaningless, which is crazy because he has everything. And he talks about through the book, he talks about how, you know what? Having great things is neat. And if you want to enjoy that stuff, that's fine, but it doesn't matter. Having nothing is, is fine. If you have nothing, that's great, but it doesn't matter. God matters. So the whole point of this book is he writes, really, the beginning of the book says it all. Everything is meaningless on this earth. It's kind of all meaningless. And the only thing that matters is that you are obedient to your creator. And the next thing I want to kind of say out of the Bible is that in the book of, book of Philippians, and Paul, Paul's writing a letter in Philippians 1.21, Paul writes, for to, uh, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What he's talking about here is that Dying is to gain heaven. Living on earth, saved by Christ, means that when you die, you are stepping up. You're increasing. You're getting something better. No matter how much you have or how much status you have or how much comfort you have or how much security you have, how many fallout, fallback plans, no matter what, to live as Christ, living on earth should be to honor Christ. But to die, that's gain. Because when we die as Christians, you go to heaven. Heaven will be better than anything this earth has to offer. So this brings me back to my question at the beginning. What do you have to lose? What do we have to lose? 
that question should be very fresh and very forefront of your mind in this day and age because much of what we have is in fact being threatened. Across our nation, in the United States of America, leaders are threatening people, you, me, in however many ways, to lose your things, to lose access to the restaurants, to lose the ability to go where you want to go, do what you want to do, unless you obey me. Can you imagine the power of, a, of men that have nothing to lose? Nothing. What if you and I understood our lives to the same degree that Paul and Solomon and Daniel understood the concept that what is on earth is meaningless and is nothing in comparison to the God we follow? What, what decisions would we make? And I don't mean I've got nothing to lose. I'm going to go to Vegas and put it all in black. That's not what I mean. I mean, what morals, what decisions would you make, would I make if we had nothing to lose? Or if we actually lived life in the way that we are instructed to live life by the Bible. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Something my dad told me years and years ago about when I was born. So um, I, was, I was actually, the, I'm, I'm the oldest of three boys. I have two brothers, awesome men. And I, before me, my, my mom actually had um, two miscarriages. So I was the third. And my mom and dad were gearing up for a, for a third, third miscarriage. They didn't think that I was going to make it because you, I mean, you've gone, if you've gone through that, the emotional strain is nuts. And so they were emotionally preparing to have a third miscarriage and um, to not have a son. And my dad told me that in, in the delivery room, as I was being born, my dad said, you know what? I can't do this again. This, Troy is not my son. He is God's son. And what my dad said is from that moment forward, he know, he never worried about me ever again, ever, even to this day. He's like, I've never worried about you because I know that God has you. You're not my son. You are God's son. Now, many of us have kids and the idea of what do you have to lose and when we start being threatened, when our morality starts being questioned, or we start to think about bending what we know to be right and just and true because our comforts and security, the home we live in, the job we have, the things that we have on this earth, that do in fact add security for our family, for our wives, for our kids. When those things are threatened, my mind goes, goes to my little girl and my wife. My job is to protect them and my job is to provide for them. But they are not mine. I did not create them. I did not create my wife. I did not create my daughter. Those beautiful women are God's daughters. It is our job as men to first obey the calling to be a man. To first 
be unwavering with our morality and righteousness. I believe that today, now, and probably over history, but in talking to my grandmother, who's 87 years old, she says she's never seen anything like what's happening today when it comes to the threats and people who are starting to slowly bend their morality a little more and a little more and a little more because they're afraid of losing a job or afraid of not being able to go out and get something or afraid of whatever. We as men need to start making decisions as if we've got nothing to lose. There is nothing on this earth more powerful than a man who has nothing to lose. To live is Christ. To die is gain. In God's name, giddy up.